0: This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. I'm Miwa Messer, I'm the producer and host of Poured Over, and Kayla Min Andrews is here actually to talk about her mom's novel. And you might be wondering, wait a minute, what? Well, The Fetishist is not only a very special book, it's also got, well, not your average publication story. So
1: why don't we just start there, yeah? Don't you think, Kayla? Absolutely. My mom started working on The Fetishist shortly after her debut novel was published. Um, so Secondhand World, her debut novel, came out in 2006. And shortly after that, she started working on The Fetishist. And she was working on The Fetishist until 2014, which is when she received her cancer diagnosis. And she claims it happened in the oncologist's office, which I believe. She a very, you know, she was a very decisive person. So Basically, she found out her time was limited. She found out, you know, much more limited than she had thought it was going to be. Terminal cancer diagnosis and just decided, you know what? The artifice of fiction doesn't work for me anymore. I want to write nonfiction essays. I want to figure out where I've been and who I am. And I want want to totally change my focus in writing. And also, I think she wanted to, you know, create new work rather than polish up and promote something she had already created. So knowing her time was limited, she completely stopped working on that novel, even though at that point she had, had she had a complete draft and she was kind of just polishing. She was a bit of a perfectionist. And, you know, I think she wasn't ready to share the draft yet, but I was aware that the draft existed. And then when she was like, I'm done with fiction, not working on that novel anymore, and she literally did not work on it another moment after that, you know, it was a surprise. Um, but it also felt it felt like the supportive thing to do was to encourage her and to be excited about the personal essays that she was writing. And so I never said like, what about The Fetishist? And let me see the draft. And why don't you, you know, I just kind of um, followed her lead. So I was aware that it existed and she had sent me pieces and chapters while she was working on it. But starting in 2014, it was a whole different project for her writing wise. And plus she was dealing with the cancer. And so it just kind of, you know, life happened quickly until she died in 2019. And that's the point at which I ended up with her laptop, you know, I inherited her laptop okay after she died and so I kind of knew it was on there but I didn't open it up right away but I eventually did because we did an event with McDowell so my uncle Colin Min set up a fellowship with McDowell because mom loved doing residencies at McDowell and she did many of them over the years and got a lot of her writing done she would say she made her most the most progress uh, when she was at artist residencies where you get you get a cabin in the woods and you get to just write all day with no interruptions and then in the evenings you get to share your work in progress with other writers so that was very important to her creative Mm -hmm. process so my uncle had this great idea to establish a fellowship in her name with mcdowell which was her favorite artist residency and then we had an event to celebrate the first year of that fellowship And my uncle was like, you should read something of your mom's at that event. We ended up having to do it on Zoom because of the pandemic. I was trying to decide something to read for that event. And I think my stepdad was like, there was this chapter from her novel that I remember was really funny. And I was like, oh, yeah. And so then I had to go through her laptop, find it. Everybody, once you read the book, you'll know which chapter it was. Uh,
0: I have a pretty good idea.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. The fireworks, the thesis (laughs) statement. So I read that chapter at this small mcdowell event on zoom thinking like well it really sucks that she ne- you know she died and this novel will never be published but at least i get to share this with a small number of people who will appreciate it so it's so silver lining you know and then after i read it so many people in the audience were like oh my god i felt so seen by that you know like asian american women in the audience and and everybody was just like i want to read the whole novel when can i read the whole novel and so it kind of got me and my family thinking we weren't sure if it was going to work out, but ended up ended up deciding to try and reaching out to some of Mom's friends um, and Kathy Park Hong, who was at that McDowell event, mm-hmm. offered offered to pass the manuscript on to her agent, and that's how that happened.
0: But you still had to do a little assembly work. It sounds like the files that you had to go through weren't necessarily in the order you might have thought, right? Like, there was a little bit of sleuthing that you had to do. I mean, the sentences were there, clearly. The story was there, clearly. Just maybe not in the order that we're reading them in, right?
1: There was some sleuthing to find the most recent draft. Her files were very messy, which is characteristic. Um, of her yeah so there were a lot of files with different names and it ended up being easy because I just looked for the one that had been opened most recently it took me a while to figure that out because I'm not very tech savvy yeah and then it was just like oh right it's the one that was opened in March 2014 which was right before she got her diagnosis and I was like she literally never opens the file again after she got her cancer diagnosis you know I knew she wasn't really working on it after but I didn't realize she just literally never touched it again Yeah. And, you know, it was a complete story front to end. There was one scene where there was a comment in the Word document. Like she left a a comment to herself being like, oh, I'll finish this scene later. So there was one scene where it was literally like one scene was not finished. And then when I ended up working with Sally Kim, so Sally Kim at Putnam um, was like the perfect person to take on this project. And then so when she read the manuscript as is, she had some ideas and she and I talked, and I also had a couple ideas. And so then we ended up making a plan for some, yeah, some light edits, um, which, I, which I got to do myself. Kind of taking something that was already great and making it shine even more. It was more adding than a little, a little bit of subtracting, a little bit of rearranging, but a lot of adding, actually, to sort of draw out certain arcs. And I had an idea for a scene at the end, and Sally had some great ideas of things that would just, yeah, tease out certain parts and make them shine more brightly. Um, So that was the editing process.
0: So what's it like, though, living in your mom's head? It's a different way of being with your mom. I mean, we're talking about your parent. Like, this is not just a, hey, let's make a shopping list and we'll figure out how to, you know, make dinner for 25 people. This is, okay, I am in the back of your brain. You are not here to give me feedback. You kind of have to read your mom's mind.
1: Yes, it was an intense process for me. It was nerve-wracking, definitely, at first, and intimidating. What if I make it worse? Or what if a scene that I add stands out as inferior? Or, you know, just, like, all kinds of Mm -hmm. insecurities. Yeah, and is this, would she want this? Would she want this? Would she be happy with this? And But that was more, like, before I started. And then once I started, it did feel sort of like... Yeah, like she was there with me. I don't know, like a continuation of the relationship. She and I had a particularly close, maybe kind of unusually close relationship where um, like she would always share her works in progress with me and she would often read them out loud to me and then discuss them. We would read other books out loud together, you know, when I was a kid, but then continuing into my adulthood, like through high school and even after I moved out of the house. But like, if I came back to visit, we might read a short story aloud together. There was lots of reading out loud together and then talking about the books that we read together or watching movies together discussing them so talking about stories together and talking about characters and talking about what works or doesn't work it was just something we did something we shared so it felt like I was tapping into that energy when I was doing the edits and I was kind of imagining you know like I'd write a paragraph and then I'd imagine her and I like reading it or I'd imagine her reading it to me or I'd imagine a conversation you know or I was like, oh, that adjective seems a little lackluster. And then I would change it. it. like, Obviously, it was just me in the room, but it felt a little bit like her and I in the
0: room. Part of why I'm smiling right now, though, is you were reading like Madame Bovary and War and Peace with your mom as a teenager. And I just I love the idea of the two of you just digging in hard on novels that some people might think of as inaccessible, right? And you're just like, nope, reading with my mom. It's like you had your own mini book club. And I really, I just, it makes me laugh to think that you guys had this really great opportunity. But, you know, your mom was clearly challenging you. It's not like she was reading at your grade level. She was saying, okay, kid, guess what? You get to meet me at mine. And I was sort of wondering how that felt for you. Because not every kid gets that, right? Like, not every kid gets that. They're being pushed to, you know, work a little harder, and they're thinking, "Oh, this is really boring. Why am I reading this?" But you clearly got a lot out of it.
1: Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I think part of it was where I grew up. So I grew up in a very small town in central New Hampshire, um, pretty isolated, and just not a ton going on. And you know, I mean, it was good in other ways, but you know, just not not a ton of like cultural or artistic events happening in this small town in central New Hampshire, and And she would say, like, that she was worried that I wasn't being challenged at school. And I think that's accurate. Um, A lot of the time, I I was kind of bored at school or not being pushed or not being challenged. And so it was always exciting to read these books out loud with her and and to discuss them. And it was a source of, yeah, intellectual and artistic Mm -hmm. and just exciting, an exciting way to think about the world. And it was challenging in a way that often school wasn't. Do
0: you have a favorite book? from what I'm going to keep calling your book club with your mom, do you, was there one that just made you really go, wow, this is it?
1: It's hard to just choose one, you know, I mean, because we read, like, cause we read classics. So I definitely remember, you know, Madame Bovary or Mrs. Dalloway. So I remember the, some of the classics that really blew my mind, but then we also read um, things that were coming out at the time, you know, Lori Moore short stories or, I don't know. Yeah. It was, it was kind of an, an omnivorous book club. (laughs) So I, I think there were times when mom was curious and we'd read a Stephen King or we'd read, I think we read a couple Hannibal novels. So it was a little bit of everything, you know.
0: But essentially, this is a kind of not necessarily graduate school education, but it's a different kind of education in literature, in words. It's not the standard stuff we were doing in high school English, even if you were at a school where you had AP classes or something, you're really approaching it from a point of view that isn't necessarily an average point of view, right? You have access to a different kind of experience of reading. And part of why I'm putting this out, you didn't have any kind of background. You were essentially doing this because you wanted to see your mom's book out in the world. It's not like this was suddenly your thesis project that you were finishing an MFA for, but you came to this with a genuine love of story, a genuine love of books, right? And this connection with your mom, it's a really great combination, but it's rare.
1: I didn't fully realize how rare it was until much Mm -hmm. later in my life. You know, you're a kid and you just think like, well, this is what's happening. It took me a while into my adulthood to realize Yeah, that it was so unusual and it was so special and that other people might find it interesting and that, yeah, and that it was really unusual. And I just thought of a favorite because I see James Baldwin behind you. Ah. (laughs) And so I remembered that another country, I remember us reading that out loud together and and me being a teenager in the small town in New Hampshire and just being like, wow, like these cool artists with their glamorous friendships and they're just in the city making art and trying to survive. And I just remember thinking that seemed so cool
0: that opening chapter two where Rufus is walking around Times Square is like, it's still, a, it's still a standout for me. And I, I must've been a teenager the first time I read that. I can't, honestly, I don't remember how old I was, but it was definitely a library copy. Small town, Massachusetts, not that different from small town, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And when you find those moments, but also the reading out loud piece is really important. Like even if you're just writing copy, right, you need to get the rhythm of the words and the rhythm of the sentences and the characters. And, and so much is revealed to you as you're sort of going through it and reading out loud, right? And I just, I love the idea of you and your mom not just chewing through the material, but also taking the time with the sentences. Like, language matters, right?
1: Yes. Oh, yes. And she loved the language. Sometimes she would pause and be like, that passage or like, that paragraph was amazing. You know, or sometimes... She would literally pause and write it down. She would copy, you know, some lines into her notebook or, you know, she'd reread the passage. It was like when the language was really, it was really great. She would notice and she would point it out and she would uh, sometimes copy it in her, in her writer's notebook.
0: And your mom, she's really precise in her language. She's really, really precise, which is a treat to read.
1: She called herself a word wanker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's hysterical. That's really funny. But it shows. And obviously we're spoiler free in this conversation because there's a lot that happens in The Fetishist. I think there are also going to be people who come to the book with assumptions <laughs> based on the copy and based on the reviews that they might see. And what I'm hoping is that they see the cover, because I love the jacket on this book. I love the jacket on this book so much. Yes, And that they say, huh, it's also very short. It is a fast read. The characters are fantastic. We're cutting back and forth between present-day Baltimore, present-day San Diego, and there's some stuff that happens in Florence. This is the thing I was not expecting. There's a very nice ending to this book, because I wasn't entirely sure. It's a little bit of a satire. It's a little bit of a thumbing the nose at conventions and some other things, but it has a really nice ending. And we don't always get that in a book that's trying to make a point, yeah. right? Like, mm-hmm. your mom was doing a lot on many different levels with the fetishes, mm-hmm. all of which I appreciate. But I really liked your characters. Even the one that we're supposed to be sort of, you know, raising an eyebrow at. <laughs> they're all kind of charming in their own way. They're all kind of complicated in their own way. There is, you know, a little bit of darkness and a little bit of light. The yeah. basement is very funny. I'm sorry. The, the mom was shopping a lot. And I'm wondering how much of this, as you're reading, because yes, your mom had been sending you pieces over time, but sending them out of order or sending them as she thought it was okay for someone who was not her to see them, right? You've already said yes. your mom was a perfectionist. Yes. Like There, there yes. is no way she was sending you rough drafts of anything.
1: No, never. <laughs>
0: How is it for you, though, sitting down with what became, let's call it your first draft, right? Like, it's your mother's final, but it's your first draft, right? You're coming to yeah. it. Sally's coming to it. What's that like?
1: It was amazing. Yeah. I remember being like, wait, wait a minute. I've never read it all in order. Yeah. I felt like I knew, you know, a lot. But then I was like, wait. And reading, it all, reading it all through that first time. I think I read it in two sittings. I just kind of gulped it down. And I was like, wow. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I was aware there were these different characters, but I didn't know exactly the way it bounced from this one to that one. You know, how it was all kind of woven together. um, And I didn't know how it ended. So, yeah, that was amazing (laughs) to discover.
0: The chapters are really short. It's very tautly written. And that's actually hard to do. I mean, listen, there are some writers who their natural sort of Rhythm gets them to 500 pages no matter what. There literally are just some people who write better, longer. Your mom wrote a literary page turner, which, honestly, when, when Sally sent it to me, whenever, this was ages ago, she sent it to me, and I was like, okay, I have no idea what I'm getting into. I had not heard of your mom. I somehow had missed her first novel. And I sat down, and I just, I was so pleasantly surprised as I kept going. I was like, I have no idea quite what to expect she lets her characters do all of the lifting and the dialogue is really snappy and smart and there really isn't a wasted word and again i didn't know what i was getting into when i i just started reading and i was like oh <laughs> hi hello book where have you been <laughs> i know i keep coming back to this but not everyone could have done what you did. And yes, I understand that she left a pretty clean manuscript, all things considered, because perfectionist, but you still have to be the one who says this is what happens and this is how it goes out into the world. And can you walk us through that? Because I mean, yeah, you have a great editor working with you and a great agent. Yeah, you have your mom's voice at the back of your brain, but you're still doing the
1: work. Part of what made this whole thing work is that I am a writer, (laughs) obvious. I mean, it sounds obvious, but as a kid, I was in touch with that or, I don't know, I did it. It was something I did. And then as soon as I graduated college, I just felt, for some reason, I was just like, nope, not doing that. And so I did not consider myself a writer. I did not write fiction. I did not do it for about 10 years from about age 22 to 32. I was just like, nope, I'm not a writer. Nope, nope, nothing to see here, you know? And, um, Still exploring exactly why but anyway that's how I felt at the time it felt important to me to not be a writer and I was like mostly not that happy surprise surprise during those 10 years like it didn't really work for me but I, at least now I'll never wonder it's like nope I definitely feel better when I'm writing yeah and it was really her her death that caused me to become a writer again it's it's hard to describe but it was so clearly linked it was like um, cause I was able to spend a couple months right there with her, um, when she was in the hospice center, that process, the dying process, even though it was so sad and painful, there was so much solace in knowing that she lived how she wanted to live. She did what she wanted to do. She was proud of her life. You know, that, like there was something there that just felt a lot less scary than it could have maybe, I don't know. And, and so, and I felt like she was dying with such courage because she had lived with such courage. And then it naturally kind of made me feel like ah and i'm not living with courage yeah and if i were to die now i wouldn't be proud of how i've lived what am i doing I've spent 10 years just dicking around being unhappy like you're going to change that kayla and usually i'm unkind to myself but that actually was not an unkind moment it was just like oh yeah, kayla you're not doing what you want to be doing how are you going to change that you know and it was actually just like curious curiosity i don't know i had a lot of time a lot of quiet time and it was just sort of very natural and like just naturally linked to anyway, so I was just like, oh yeah, I should start writing. Yeah, and then after she died, I started writing, and and there were a couple years of just me writing, you know, before this process of getting mm-hmm. the fetishes published started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was developing as a writer. I was I was starting out, but I was it was also something I'd been sort of doing my whole life. I don't know. It was like returning to my roots, I guess, and um and having grown up around the writer and seeing it. I don't know. So in some ways. I'm a rookie and in some ways it's like my whole life has been this so I don't know it's a weird mix of those two things but the fact that I'm starting out as a writer and and developing my voice and then and then when this project came along it was like okay I can do this because I'm a writer I learned it from mom but yeah I don't know it was like not exactly a passing of the baton but there's sort of a like I learned all about books and writing and stories and what it is to be a writer and humor and dialogue and you know all the things Um, kind of being around it my whole life with mom. And now she's gone. And now I can use all that. I'm going to keep using all that. I've been using all that for my own writing, and I'm going to keep doing that. But now I can also use that to do the edits on her book.
0: I want to step away from book club for a second, because I still love this idea. But you've had a number of years, though, where book club has not happened. And I'm wondering who some of the influences that you found, some of the writers you found as influences, that didn't come out of book club, right? Because obviously you're going to develop your own voice that is separate. Like your mom's voice is great. Please don't misunderstand me. But you obviously are going to find your own space and your own voice and everything else. And I'm just wondering if we can talk about some of those writers as well.
1: Yeah, I've been reading a lot. I've been not so much with the classics anymore. I've just lately been sort of naturally, I just read whatever I feel like reading and I don't really make a plan for myself. But I've just naturally been finding myself more inclined towards um, stuff that's coming out now and um or in the past several years and i know like the my brilliant friend series made a very big impression on me right uh, just really exploring you know female friendship and and these like close relationships that are loving but also can be troublesome and and like what's going on with that and 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 sort of the process of becoming a writer there are so many things about that that series that spoke to me i read a novel recently called holding pattern which was amazing. Um, Jenny She. Yeah, and mother-daughter, and but just fascinating. All Grown Up by Jamie Attenberg. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I've been reading a lot of stories about you know, women struggling with their relationships and figuring out who they want to be. I really enjoyed Conversations with Friends, also, by, by Sally Rooney. Yeah, and just, and just women who find ways of living that work for them, that might be unconventional. That's sort of what's been on my mind lately.
0: Hearing you talk about that makes me understand even more like why you were the perfect person to finish your mom's book because there are more than one woman in this book that shall we say does their own thing right I mean you've you've got a punk rock musician who's also an artist you've got a couple of musicians there isn't really sort of a conventional storyline for any of them in a way they're all artists first and that's the thing that keeps them pushing forward in their own lives. And it's a delight to see. But, yeah, you also like narratives about slightly unconventional lives as well. And I can see that sort of thread running through. Do you have a favorite moment or a favorite character? Like, was there someone you got really attached to or a moment you got really attached to as you were working on The Fetishist?
1: I- I love them all. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I, I, I get it. Yeah, I like their their banter the most. Yes. I think the just the really funny banter and um, kind of snarky, kind of irreverent, and sometimes it's like wordplay or puns, and and sometimes it's joking around about really serious issues. It's just so funny, and and it, and it, it does remind me of, of mom and how she would joke around, how we would joke around.
0: I think it's really important, too, to be able to laugh about stuff that can be very uncomfortable because otherwise, if you're just only focused on how uncomfortable a thing is, you're not really going to move through it and you're not really going to get to the other side or be able to even talk about it with someone else. There are so many great moments in this book. And again, there are some moments, too, where it's not the easiest, but the comedy. Your mom did a lot. Your mom did a lot with sort of also very confined spaces. I mean, even when we're in Florence... It's really a hotel and a sidewalk. And yeah. even when we're in Baltimore, it's, you know, very specific locales. And California, too. Yeah, we're, your mother yeah. writes really well in very tight spaces. She gives us an expansive worldview. She gives us an expansive experience of her characters, but she keeps putting them in boxes. And it's kind of amazing to watch her get them out of them. I mean, structurally, you didn't really need to do anything for the book, right? I mean, you said there was the one scene, there was a little bit of cleanup, there was a little bit of stitching together, a little bit of zhuzh, let's call it zhuzhing, right? Like, But not a lot of architectural stuff that you needed to do, right? right? So how does that change the way you approach your own work then? Because I mean, you have the material, yes, but obviously, you're not going to put your mom's book out into the world unless it's ready to be consumed by people who are not you. But now you're sitting down to work on your short stories, your essays, your novel. I'm sure there's a novel somewhere. How does what you've learned from the process of bringing The Fetishist out into the world impact your work?
1: Yeah, I think that's You know, still unfurling. Definitely this whole process feels like I have more confidence of just like, oh, I can do this. And um, The Fetishist is written in the omniscient narration. So it's, you know, that's not a style we see a ton of. It's it's not something I've tried in my own work. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was fun to just try it. I was just like, oh, I guess I'm doing this, right? And popping in and out of different people's heads and sometimes sort of commenting philosophically or humorously on things that the characters can't see. And and the long sentences and the really heightened vocabulary and the kind of ornate wordplay, all these things that yeah were fun and like hey let's just loosen up and dive in and do this right. There's a certain plunge or leap of faith you have to take where you're just like I'm gonna try this and like, yeah this sentence is going to have five commas and two M dashes you know and um, I guess my own writing tends to be a little more contained and concise and it, so it was fun to just it felt very different than. Doing my own prose. And I, I don't know exactly how you know it's not like I'm gonna then set out to write in that style, but it's like it's like I've now I've done more things and I have more confidence, and who, who knows how it'll but just sort of sort of maybe that taking a leap of faith, trying something you haven't done before, and, and um, trusting that that you can do it. It was definitely interesting to see both in doing the edits, but then also just seeing kind of the publishing world and how people talked about the novel and. The fact that it has a plot and has a rather exciting, suspenseful plot and, you know, the fact that there's stuff happening and there's menace and there's, you know, suspense and that sometimes literary fiction doesn't have quite as much of that. You know, the idea of a literary page turner, Shoot, there was some word that like the editor and the agent, there was some word that people kept using, but now I forget what it was. But it basically meant like it has a plot that's on my mind now in a way that it wasn't fully before. And uh, we'll see how that affects my writing, but. More awareness on my part of what that can look like. Part
0: of it for me, when I'm reading, voice is the thing that I need more than anything. As far as I'm concerned, when stuff happens, it's kind of a bonus. But I really need a voice. Yes.
1: And if I can hook
0: onto the voice, I'm good. I will read anything. I agree. But voice, too, for me, is built out of really beautiful sentences. Like clunky writing, I can do it. I can do a lot of things. But... The sheer joy that I get out of beautiful sentences. I can't separate great writing from voice. I think the two are sort of hand in hand, right? And again, like, I was so pleasantly surprised. Your mom's sense of pacing, the narrative thrust in her pacing, I was just like, wow, this is, I mean, clearly you guys had a lot to work with. And I'm not saying that things didn't happen once you and Sally and PJ got your hands on it, but it's wild how much happens, and I didn't even, you know, usually I'm pretty good at looking at page counts, but I flew through this book so much that I don't even remember what you guys came, oh, hi, 265 pages. A lot happens. (laughs) But a lot happens intellectually and in terms of your character's interiority, too. How much for you as a reader, though, I mean, yeah, you just said you're looking for voice, too, but now you're saying, oh, I may need plot more than I thought I needed
1: it. Yes, exactly Exactly what it is. I'm just like, oh, right. Things should happen. Right. Okay. <laughs> Which, I mean, I knew that already, but I am someone, I think like you, if I read a beautifully written thing with a really compelling voice right? and not that much happens, I'm fine. Like I'm aware that's not maybe the biggest seller mm-hmm. or the most marketable, but like, I'm fine with that. But now I'm like, well, but maybe you could just try a little harder <laughs> to have some some stuff happen.
0: I'm thinking of that internet meme, why not both? Right? Why not both? And yes. Part of me is sort of sad to see that your mom, you know, this is it. We have the two books. Curious to see what you do. Really curious to see, yeah. like, when you find your format. Cause who knows? You might be a story writer. You might be a novelist. We don't know. Like, you actually don't know. You're figuring it out.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: All right. So here you are saying, as a writer, as a creator, you now understand you need to pull a little more plot into what you're working on. But let's go back to the fetishes for a second. We're going to stay spoiler-free. I know we've been dropping all of these sort of hints about how much fun this book is. And there is stuff that really I'm staying away from because I don't want to be the one to, like, drop the spoiler. That's pretty much why I'm dancing around so much of what's happening. But did you have any moments where you were really, really surprised about maybe interactions between characters or a set piece maybe that your mom threw in and you're like, wow, I was okay. I was not expecting that. Like both as a creator, but as a reader, not necessarily as your mom's kid, right? You see the distinction I'm making between all of those? Like, or was there something that just like delighted you beyond belief where you were like, I can't believe that just happened. And yeah, we're going to dance around the specifics, but you understand what I'm asking, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's okay to say that the very ending of the book, the, the, the final chapter, I was completely surprised. I had okay. read it, but I didn't know it was the ending. Oh, I was perplexed. And part of me thought, no, no, that should not be the last chapter. And part of me thought, that's weird. And part of me thought, like, who does that? And he's like, like I had all these reactions to that specifically then uh-huh. just as a reader, you know, and, and part of me, part of me felt like, is this a mistake <laughs> or something? I don't know. was just like so, um, so unexpected and so unusual. And I remember talking with Sally about it and her being like, yeah, but that's the beauty of it. <laughs> it really makes you think. So I came around, but part of me was like, ah, I, how I feel about it. It was very, yeah. Just, just, as a reader, not as her daughter.
0: Yep. No, I totally get it. And I will say, I laughed out loud when I realized what was happening. And it took me a minute. I was like, okay, I'm going to follow you down this rabbit hole. And yes, we are specifically talking about the last chapter. And I just started to laugh. I was like, this is um, slightly audacious in the best possible way. But it—that's like I absolutely understand where your mom was coming from. I absolutely understand where Sally was coming from, where you were coming from. Like, it works. It is not the expected thing. I think about Kyoko as a character, right? Our punk rock girl. I think about Alma, our other punk rock girl. Oh, I will totally admit, though, I did think Cello Kitty. Cello Kitty made me laugh. (laughs) It made me laugh so hard. I was just like, no,
1: that should be the name of the band.
0: And it wasn't, but okay. A rock
1: band of classical cellists. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I thought it was great. Anyway, that's kind of there, but... They're going to be people listening who are like, "What are you talking about?" And this is my yeah. my way of saying, "Please just go read the book." Please, 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 just go read the fetishist.
1: That reminds me of um, I don't know if I knew this before, but I, I remember feeling kind of surprised and chuckling that the name of Kyoko's band is the Yukio Mishima's. Yeah, That's
0: that was good. That band. was that was and inspired. I was
1: like, what? And then I was like, "Oh, yeah." I think I have to Google it. And then I was like, "Yeah, I get it." not the Saying so much saying so much about her character and her values. And like, it's funny, but it's also, yeah, it's just something so charming about
0: that. I mean, this is both of us just saying a lot happens. A lot happens. These characters, they get to evolve. They get to change. They get to make peace with their pasts and their decisions and the things that they do and how they see the world. And, and it's a pretty significant shift for everyone. Even we get some minor characters. Alma has a neighbor who I'm quite fond of.
1: Yes, I love their band the most. Yeah,
0: they're great. They're really great. But it's a genuine friendship. And he has a couple of moments where towards the end, it's just, you know what, it's just charming. It's just really charming. And I really don't want to spoil it. I just, I think this book is going to surprise a lot of people. I really can't wait for that to happen. But hey, what's next for you? I mean, obviously you're working on something, but do you know what it is?
1: I think it's a novel. I think okay. it's my first attempt. Okay. My first attempt to write a novel. So I think I know more than more than most that sometimes your first attempt at a no- novel does not turn into your published debut. You know, I'm very, very aware of that. So, yeah, but I'm trying. You know, trying it out, and yeah, we'll see what happens. <laughs> hey.
0: So before I let you go, though, the jacket, right? Like I, I know we've been speaking about this book, coming from it sideways and upside down and all around, because. Honestly, lots happens. We don't want to tell you what's going. We do not want to spoil this novel for you. But I'm also hoping that folks come to the jacket and say, what is happening here? I need to read this book. So can we talk about the jacket for a second? Because that is one ugly fish. That is a really ugly. That is the nicest way I can describe the ugly fish, but it works. It totally works.
1: The fish is ugly. The fish has a mouth that is open. The fish has bugged out eyes. Something about it reminds me of like Medusa's head. Isn't there a painting where someone's holding up Medusa's head and Medusa's Mm -hmm. head has this expression of like, ah. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we really wanted, Sally and I talked a lot about the cover and we wanted something that would show that the book was funny and kind of crazy and kind of, um, You know, that lots of things happen, but like that it's gonna be very much a unique reading experience. And somehow we wanted a cover that would convey, you know, beauty and elegance, but also fierceness and intensity (laughs) and humor. And I think just it's perfect. Yeah. So there's a giant blowfish with a very particular expression. Something about the mouth is almost, to me, it's suggestive of almost like some sort of bodily orifice. (laughs) And overall, you know, the blowfish is such a potent symbol. If you think so as i understand it it's it's a delicacy in asia it's a lot of men especially like you know not more more than a few white tourists are interested in trying this delicacy which can kill you if it's not prepared properly the fish is kind of a symbol of like male bravado and danger and sort of wanting to acquire exotic thrilling experience
0: mhm it's a great jacket it's a great jacket it is very, very funny. And I think it captures the spirit of the thing. And readers can decide for themselves. But Kayla, this was great. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to see what you do next. But in the meantime, there's your mom's novel, Catherine Min, your mom. The Fetishist is out now. It is very, very funny. Thanks
1: so much for this conversation.
0: Thank you for listening. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.